Hello and welcome to Ditching Hourly. I'm Jonathan Stark. And today I'm joined by guest Ant Pugh. How are you doing, Ant? I'm good, thanks. How are you doing? Excellent. So before we get started, could you tell folks a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yes, yeah, so um, I'm a learning consultant um, based out of Newcastle, which is a small city um, about two hours north of Sydney on the east coast of Australia. And I help companies avoid implementing expensive training solutions that don't achieve their business goals. Mm. And I've also recently launched a community called Propeller, where we support um, learning and development professionals who want to build a professional, sorry, a pro profitable freelance business mm -hmm. um, whilst honing their craft. Oh, I love that name. <laughs> you could have merch, a little propeller head hats. <laughs> uh, we've, we've, we've already thought them all through. We've got a big long list of things that we want to create. I love that. Cool. Okay. Well, the purpose of this particular discussion um, had its origins in my coaching Slack where you asked a question. Maybe you could kind of paraphrase the question for people just to set the context. Yeah, of course. Um, so we have a lot of um, freelancers in our community who are either just getting started or, and to, to give some context, they're probably um, quite confident in their um, expertise. So they might be either an instructional designer or an e-learning developer or um, kind of a, a training consultant of some description. And they're feeling pretty confident with the the uh, expertise side of things, but they don't have any expertise when it comes to starting a business. And so they're taking this, um, this skill or, or this expertise and they're trying to you know, turn it into a profitable business. And, and, and obviously the most common way for people to do that is start off quite general, especially in, in their marketing and then, you know, either niche down, uh, you know, in the future. And, and one of the questions I get a lot is, um, you know, how do I, you know, how do I find more clients? And, and the advice that I've been given is, um, the advice that I've been giving, sorry, has been to, to either pick a, um, a market vertical, which I understand is, is called niching, Mm -hmm. uh, or, you know, the, the, another tactic uh, or another strategy for marketing would be to um, focus on a specialization, which for them would be, you know, their, their, their core skill. And, you know, a lot of these guys, they don't want to necessarily deliver end-to-end -end solutions for clients. They just want to focus on their expertise. So a, a good example might be the technical development of an e-learning course, which is, is very technical. It's a case of, you know, you're building a solution, but they don't necessarily want to get get involved in the, um, the steps ahead of that, which might be the needs analysis, the diagnostics, or the um, script writing and the storyboarding. Um, and so, Logically, it would suggest to me that it would be more sensible for them to specialize because they can, you know, they can create marketing material about their, their area of expertise. Um, and my, my gut feeling was that if they um, are, are niching, like picking a market vertical, mm -hmm. a typical client who is looking for a, a complete solution, like they might be looking for a training solution, they wouldn't necessarily be looking for somebody just to do one small part of the process. They're looking for somebody to do the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And therefore, that's that's where my logic was going, that they sh that, that, that these guys should probably focus on specializing, focusing on their, their skills rather than focusing on a, a market vertical. But um, I'm happy to be told otherwise. No, that was great. Great background. Okay, I've already taken notes. <laughs> okay, good. Um, okay, so let's start big picture, really big picture, and talk about the what's the point the whole point of this conversation is to figure out how to get more, better clients. 
So you've got exactly. some, yeah, so that's, that's the, that's what we're going to, we're going to explore here, how to get more better clients. Um, and there are two, two axes on the table that we're talking about right now, and they are, uh, independent. So, and they're blurry. The, the terms are used even by me sometimes in a blurry way. So let's get really specific for the purpose of this conversation. There's specializing, which is about your skills. They're like, like superpowers, or you could think of it like your resume, the kind of stuff you put on a resume, the stuff that's easy for you, that you're a natural at, that you're great at. Um, maybe you spent, you know, you put in your 10,000 hours and you have a sense of mastery over these skills. Um, and that that's specialization. You're getting really specific. You're becoming an expert at something, whether it's e-learning or martial arts or, um, you know, guitar solos. And then there's another axis, which is niching. And that's, that is focusing on a particular target market to create value for using whatever your superpowers are and, or, or not, not even superpowers necessarily. Maybe you're a complete generalist. Maybe you're a complete full stack web developer, or you're in, uh, I don't know, tell me something from your wor world, e-learning world. That's a complete generalist. Like, um, I, you tell me. Well, there there are a lot of people, myself included. When we, when when I first started my freelance business, I was a very <clears throat> kind of um, excuse me, <clears throat> I was um, an end to end e learning developer. So I would market myself as being somebody who would do the whole thing right from start to finish. I would do your diagnostics. I would do the uh, instructional design. I would do the technical development. I would do the graphic design, and then I would evaluate the project at the end of it. So that that's the kind of end-to-end -end process. Great. Um, I wasn't confident necessarily in all of those um, skills, but I kind of, you know, I could I could get by in enough of them to fill in the gaps. So sort of a full-service e-learning firm. Exactly. Yeah, and, okay. and I would say the majority of of businesses out there who de de deliver these types of solutions are are marketing themselves as that. Okay. So that even though e-learning is a very, it seems pr probably pretty specific to people listening to me, I, I think that's still a pretty big pond. I think there's probably a lot of competition in that pond. Um, there's probably a lot of apples to apples comparisons. It's not, it doesn't full service e-learning agency, let's say it's not super specialized. It's, it's, I would maybe call it specific. But still, it's like e-learning. Okay, that's a, a big category. You know, it's kind of like saying education. It's a huge yeah, category. I, I totally agree. I think it's. A, it's, a, it's a, I think you could uh, you could um, compare it to web design. You know, I think it's a, it's a huge industry, um, and there's yeah, huge amount of people out there doing it. Okay, great. Okay, so we're in agreement there. So that's not very specialized. So um, so if you imagine someone who's like a full service e-learning consultancy or firm then and, and you want to stay kind of general in that and you like all those things maybe you are really good at all those things or you have a team that does that fills all of those roles and does a really good job of it and you've got a great process and uh, it's really optimized and you can deliver amazing stuff for uh, you know inexpensively all things considered because you're you've optimized it and it's like a well-oiled machine well so that's pretty general on the specialization access and if you just offer that to anyone who wants an e-learning a full service e-learning consultancy your niche or your target market is essentially everyone and you're blurry 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 in both of those axes which in my little diagram i'm drawing here will put you in the bottom left corner 
And when you're in yep. the bottom left corner selling generalist services to everyone or anyone, uh, it's very difficult to get more better leads. Very difficult because there's nothing, almost certainly, there's nothing that differentiates you from the next full service e-learning consultancy. So the, the only meaningful difference between the two providers is probably price. So then you end up in price competition, which is the last place anyone wants to be, most likely. I mean, you, theoretically, you, know, you could be like Amazon and want to have razor thin margins and just beat everybody on price and win by getting a massive amount of market share and, and, and uh, scaling up so that you can cover your operational costs with this tiny margin by having millions of clients or whatever. Highly unlikely that any service provider is looking to do that. Uh, most likely people want to sell higher price services, get a bigger margin by reaching clients who value what they do more and therefore um, are happy to pay higher prices and not, not hire the cheapest. So if you imagine like an Etch-a-Sketch, do you know what an Etch-a-Sketch is? I don't know if that's a generational yeah. thing. Okay. Yeah, no, I do. All right. So if you imagine an Etch-a-Sketch, it's got these two white dials on the red thing and it's got the gray screen and you can dial these two dials and move the pointer all around the sort of playing field all around the rectangle. And I think it makes sense to dial. I think these two things, specialization and niching, I think you can over dial. I think if you turn both dials all the way to the right, you're going to end up in the top right hand corner of the etch a sketch. And you're going to be niched down to a single individual on planet earth. And your specialization is like hyper specific. And that, that, job or that engagement looks a lot like um, looks a lot like uh, the guy that massages Jeff Bezos's back like Jeff Bezos's private masseuse like that's super specialized it's not even that specialized rubs his feet you know what I mean? <laughs> gives him pedicures like I, I give Jeff Bezos pedicures that's my job yeah that's maximum niching because it's one person out of 7.5 billion or wherever we're at now. And you just do this one hyper-specific thing. It probably even like, like foot massage, probably even like reflex, like, like pedicure reflexology or like something crazy specific, you know, acupuncture for Jeff Bezos and nobody else. So that's probably over-specialized, especially if you haven't landed him as a client. So if your mission in life is to be, you know, Jeff Bezos's acupuncturist, let's say, uh, Honestly, now that I say that out loud, it doesn't sound impossible, but, but it probably, and it probably would pay really well. Like that might be okay. But in general, you probably don't want to over focus on both specialization and niching. I think you can go too far in, if you go extremes in both directions, just general, in general terms. So what does make more, more sense? If you're, if you're turn both of the dials all the way to the left, you're in the bottom left-hand corner of the Etch-A-Sketch. And you are a generalist selling to everyone. We already talked about that. And that's where most people operate when they're first starting out. And you know very well, probably anybody listening to this who, who's in their first year or two, that if you're just like, oh, I can, I can do anything you want. If you need anything on your website or the back end or the front end or, the, or AWS or Azure, or if you need anything that has to do with somebody typing code into a computer, I can do it. Anybody need someone to type into a computer for them? Oh, no answer. <laughs> you know, it's like, it, 
it's it's really hard to for for people who would potentially pay you money to connect the dots between your skill that even if it's general it's still web web stuff is pretty general um, they don't understand that stuff so they don't know that they need you you need to connect the dots for them so if they're not experts at what you do then you need to speak in terms that they will understand and let's talk about this for a second let's riff on speaking in terms that people understand if i am trying to reach a spanish-speaking market it doesn't make tons of sense for me to speak i don't know in mandarin like i probably want to pick the language of the people that i speak the literal language of the people that i that i'm trying to to connect with so at the highest level like if i'm a comedian and i'm telling jokes to in english to an audience that doesn't speak english the jokes i might say those jokes were hilarious but no one laughed what's going on they didn't understand them they don't understand the language that you're using the same applies when you're using jargon from your industry to people who are not in your industry so if you say something about technical debt to a guy that runs a shoe store you know is not going to get it so so maybe you both speak english but you're speaking different air quotes languages so the benefit of niching down is that you can learn the language of a particular target market and it could be like you said it could be a vertically defined target market where they're all dentists or it could be a uh, demographically um, defined target market like ceos of fortune 500 companies or people who live in this zip code or soccer moms who have three kids demographically defined or it could be psychographically defined like environmentalists or optimists or people who believe that the world is flat so there are all these all of these tribes if to, to use seth godin's term there's these people who are and, and and any person can be in multiple ones of them you know you can be in a bunch of different tribes but there's a language inside of the tribe uh, almost always there'll be some kind of jargon there'll be some kind of commonality that pulls all the birds of a feather together and they can tell when someone who's not in the tribe is talking to them because the person who's outside of the tribe doesn't use the right language they'll say stuff that doesn't make sense so as a provider who wants to learn the right language of the of a group that they want to serve and they want to communicate to them the benefits they need to learn the language of the people they're trying to reach so they need to learn spanish if they want to reach spanish-speaking people or if you want to reach people who are i don't know um in the methodist church you need to understand what they care about and how they talk about things and you need to use their language to connect the dots between what they want and what you do so you can't go into a, like a like i said a shoe store and somebody like you know they have a terrible website uh you know maybe you needed your shoes repaired and you went to a website and you, you searched google and you found a local shoe store and their website was awful you happen to be a web developer and you go in there and start talking about like usability and technical debt and and you know html5 and responsive web design they're just going to stare at you like you have three heads so you need to figure out language that they use to describe what they want and then if there's a if there's a fit then you can connect the dots between the the kinds of results that you can deliver and the kinds of things they want and if there's overlap between the results you can deliver and things they want boom you're in business and then so that's anyway so i'm soapboxing a little bit but this is the whole point of niching down is that if you pick who you're talking to 
then you can use their language to connect the dots between what they want and what you results you can provide. And so you don't talk about your craft when you're niching down and you can actually be more general, less specialized because it doesn't matter. They don't care. They don't know that you're not going to introduce technical debt and you're going to do, you know, responsive web design. They don't care. They just want to know that their phone is going to ring more and they're going to sell more shoes or they're going to have more cobbler jobs. So um, if you dial, so back to the edge of sketch, if you dial the knobs, if you take the, the left knob, I'm not sure if I'm doing the counterclockwise clockwise thing, right? I think, I think, well, now I'm lost, but if you dial the, if you dial the pointer up to the top left of the edge of sketch, then you'd be super duper niche down and not very specialized. So you could be like a web person or you could be an e-learning person. You know, you're like, you're like kind of a web guru or an e-learning guru. And you know, you know what you're doing. You've got a, maybe you're, maybe you're really good at one aspect of the e-learning stack, but you're pretty good at most of it. Maybe you're really good at, at, at front end web design and you're like a master of react JS or something. Um, and you're pretty good at the other stuff. Like, you know how to spin up a backend, you spin up a, an EC2 instance and, and stand up a server stuff like that. But it doesn't, you're kind of a generalist. Maybe you're T-shaped. You've got one thing that you're really good at superpower wise or specialization wise, but it doesn't matter. Because if you're niched way down and you're way at the top left of the Etch-a-Sketch, those folks, they just care about results. And like, here are the things that I want. Is there some way that, that you could help me get to them? So then you can say, yeah, yeah, I know exactly how to do that. Um, okay, so that's sort of the top left corner. And then just to finish the conversation and then I'll shut up and I can see if I've made any sense at all. <laughs> if you dial it down to the bottom right corner, you're like hyper specialized, hyper specialized. Uh, but you're not niche down at all. Uh, you're not, you do whatever you, you do what you do for people who want what you do. So the, the, this is actually really attractive to a lot of people. And a lot of people who are in the bottom left corner think this is what they're doing because they're like an e-learning specialist or they're an e-learning consultant. And they're like, I'm, that's pretty specialized. I mean, think of all the different things out there in the world. I'm pretty specialized. But if you're just one of many e-learning consultants, and they can, you know, a client who doesn't see a meaningful difference between Alice and Bob, who both say is both says e-learning specialist on their or e-learning consultant or e-learning guru on their LinkedIn profile, they're going to pick the cheapest one or they're going to find three and pick the middle one. So they don't see a meaningful difference between anybody because it's actually a, a, a really big pool. It's not a small pond. So on the on the the bottom right hand corner of the Etch-a-Sketch, when you get hyper, hyper focused, into your niche, uh, sorry, 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 not niche. If you get hyper, hyper focused into your specialty and you just, you just plan to get hired by people who need your specialty, then your, your mission is actually, um, it's very, it's easy in the sense that you get to go nuts drilling down into this thing that you love, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever superpower you have or skill that you have mastered, you get to go deeper and deeper and deeper into it. Maybe, maybe farther than anybody else in the world has ever gone into this specialization. So you're hyper specialized. You're the kind of person, well, before we get there. And then if you're, if you become more and more famous globally as the go-to person for that specialization and anybody cares, then you'll start to attract clients from all walks of life. There'll be no pattern to what tribes they're in probably whatsoever. It's really, really the, the, the niche or the lack of niche is people who need the thing that you do. So this could be something like, um, 
like I was looking for someone like this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it was an offline first mobile web application specialist. There are not a lot of people like this who are globally recognized as someone who understands how to do offline first mobile web apps using service workers that's going to work on, on mobile phones. There are probably, I'm just going to take a wild guess and speak, between 1,000 and 10,000 people who know how to do it. But I could only find about seven people in the whole world who appear to know how to do it. And what did I do? I searched for, I searched for books on the subject. Like somebody who wrote an entire book on offline first PWAs or service workers, offline service workers, or uh, the people who wrote the spec for the W3C. And I connected, I think it was about six or seven people, might have been eight. And I found one and I paid whatever he wanted. But how often is he, you know, is that specialization, do enough people care about that hyper, hyper, hyper specialization to attract enough, you know, to get more better clients? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But, you know, all, all of these quadrants have pros and cons. I think the, the top left where you're hyper niched down into a very, very, very specific kind of buyer is, uh, a pr I don't want to say easy, but is a, there's a pretty clear path and it has lots of, and you get lots of feedback, which allows you to correct along the way, top left corner, bottom right corner is also a pretty straightforward path like what you need to do is pretty straightforward but you don't get a lot of feedback along the way and so like after two years maybe it didn't work and you got no feedback about that along the way it's kind of like it's kind of like it doesn't work forever until it finally works and then you're like a rock star you know it's like being discovered overnight after 10 years of playing in a rock band and then the bottom left corner is terrible it's where most people operate and the top right corner is more of a job and less of a less of a career it's more like it's more like you're an employee and not really a not really a consultant or a freelancer or an independent person oh okay so um that was a lot i wonder if you i mean do, am i making any sense is any of that making any sense yeah it makes complete sense um and it actually aligns with my my thinking um before we even started talking so i'm glad kind of we're on the same page and, and i am kind of going in the right direction with this um i think the, the the major query i have though when it comes to this is that the example you gave there was somebody or a, a company who's offering a full stack of services um so they're very generalized they pretty much say you know we'll do the end-to-end -end solution and it makes complete sense to me that um, picking a market vertical for that type of, of, of company would make complete sense. Um, and it would probably be a faster path to finding clients because they can do, do outreach. Um, they can proactively go and find those types of clients. Um, whereas the specialization um, um, strategy, I totally appreciate that, you know, they're, they're going to be focusing their marketing efforts on, you know, showing off their expertise and eventually writing that book and, and getting to the place where you are one of eight people in the world and, and getting people to pay anything that they want to, to have the, have your services. Mm -hmm. But then what, what, what that doesn't take into account for, um, is the person who 
doesn't necessarily want to be that full stack service. So if you think about a typical freelancer rather than a, a kind of a, an agency, they might be able to, do, you know, I think the example you gave, they might be like a front end developer, but they can also yeah. do the back end and they can do the servers. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not techie when it comes to web stuff, but I, I can, I can apply that same logic to my industry. And that's, that's very similar to me. Like I, I focus very much on the needs analysis at the beginning of a project. So trying to diagnose a client real need for training, which is usually the part that gets skipped through and, and, and a client will decide, you know, they'll have self-diagnosed that they that training is the solution that's going to solve all their problems. Mm-hmm. And the, um, the freelancer or the agency that they contact will literally just build what they've requested. Mm-hmm. Um, and it will look great and it will, you know, tick all the boxes, but actually it won't actually fi- fix the problems that the, the client is looking to solve. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, in, in my example, I am a... I, I, yes, I could do all of it, but I'm very focused on one piece of the, the jigsaw, if you like. And, and this is what's happening within my community. Um, we've got instructional designers who just like writing the storyboards, who just like doing the scripting. We've got e-learning developers who just like building building this from the script or from the, the, the architect's plans that have been laid out for them. Mm. Um, and so in those examples, and this is where my, my kind of question lies, is, is if I was... Um, an e-learning developer, right? I just like, I, I probably could get by and do the needs analysis and I could probably figure out how to do the scripting, but it's not my area of expertise. I have no interest in hiring other freelancers to do that part of the the job, for, the, the project for me. I just want to find projects where I can do my expertise. And your answer might just be, look, go and get a job. But they're, 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 if they've decided that freelancing is for them and they, they want to kind of pursue that, that mission, um, that, that's where my, my confusion lies because I feel like in that situation, um, let's imagine I'm just doing the technical development. Let's imagine I, I niche and I say, right, I'm just going to serve, um, I don't know, uh, I'm going to focus on d- designing e-learning for charities, let's say. That's my market vertical. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, in that scenario, a, a charity might come out, a training manager at a charity might come over and uh, you know, get, get out on the internet and be like, right, I need, I need an e-learning solution. They'll Google, you know, e-learning. They'll read a blog post about um, somebody who's, um, you know, this, this e-learning, this technical developer's wrote a blog post about how his e-learning solution um, solved problems for for a charity. That company is going to be looking for somebody who can do everything. They're not looking for somebody who can just do the technical development. They're looking for somebody to do the whole end-to-end solution. And that's where my confusion lies because it's very difficult then for that and well, I would assume it's difficult for that developer to, because because the point being is, if that if that company if that charity wants somebody to do the whole end end to end solution, and they're looking at this this freelancer who's look I can I can build your e learning but you're going to need somebody else to to design it, that's not a that's not a, a good fit right so that that's where my confusion lies. All right, so you touch on a million things there that are all really good threads. So let's start here. I love playing the drums. Do you want to pay me to play the drums? No. No. Is there any value in me playing the drums for you? No. There's probably no drum. If you heard me play the drums, there's probably not a single person on planet Earth that would pay me to play drums because I suck at drums. I just love doing it. Even if I was amazing at drums, there's a lot of other people that are amazing at drums. So if, but let's just say I stink. Let's just say I love it, but I'm ugh, I'm like intermediate at best. Maybe no one wants that. It's possible that what you do, no one wants. 
Mm-hmm. That, is, that is a possibility. But let's just rule that out for the time being. Like, even though it was really hard for you to learn drums and you're really good at let, let's let's even go farther down this r- drums rabbit hole. Let's say you're amazing at playing drums, but you don't want to leave your house. You just want to play drums in the basement. It's like, hey, everybody, I'm great at playing drums in the basement. I am amazing. I can play like the entire, you know, Rush album, all the Rush albums from beginning to end in real time you want to watch. And no one does. No one does. That's weird. And so you're cutting in your and by not wanting to leave the basement, you're cutting yourself off from session work, touring work, um, Broadway type stuff, all, all these other things. You're putting all these limitations. I only want to do my thing in my way and I'm going to be a prima donna about it and expect the world to come to my door and pay me money because it was really hard to get this good at playing all of the Rush albums. So yeah, there's a possibility that someone just is being unrealistic about the value of their skills. So like if you enjoy your, basically what you have there is a hobby. So you do this thing that you love. No one cares. No one wants to pay you for it. No one can connect the dots between this thing that is objectively impressive, but delivers no results. So if you're expecting people to pay you money, you better be able to give them results. So now to back to your, did you say like a storyboarding person? I only want to do storyboards. That's all I want to do. Storyboards. Yeah. That, that's what I would call uh, the role of an instructional designer. Okay. So I just want to do storyboards. What kind mm-hmm. of results can a person who does storyboards provide results? Yeah. On their own. Nothing. Nothing. No, well, nothing. I don't believe that. Uh, well, the, the storyboard could then be used. To, so a client could hire somebody to build a storyboard and then they could go and when they've got the storyboard, they could then hire somebody to go and build it or mm. they might have internal capacity to do that themselves. Mm. But in my experience, the majority of clients don't want the hassle of that. They just want, you know, they want somebody to, they want it, They want the solution. They want to go out and find somebody who's going to deliver it. Okay. Well, that's the majority. What about the minority? What do they want? Uh, I'm not sure. Right. Some of them, yeah. someone probably would value it. I ima- it sounds like the kind of thing that would be valuable. The same way that not everybody wants a blueprint, but a lot of people would value it. Mm-hmm. If you, it sounds kind of like a blueprint department thing where if you, if, if you say, uh, I'm an architect, I make blueprints. Uh, I, do, uh, I can do all sorts of things to help you visualize your dream home, uh, but I don't build it. Mm-hmm. I mean, would you, first of all, would you even expect an architect to also have the skill set to build a house? Probably not. Would you expect someone who uh, built a house to build your dream house to do so without a blueprint or some kind of uh, elevations or or painting at least something like just just start building? No, like a plan is a plan. Like and some people are going to value a plan and some people are not. But, you know, maybe there is some maybe there isn't, but maybe there is a parallel in the e-learning space where there's value in having a blueprint. And if you are and the blueprint itself has value. It's not just that it's um, uh, maybe someday going to lead to your dream home that then you'll spend a million dollars on. Having the blueprint has value unto itself. Not as not as much value as the house itself, but inarguably it has value. People want it. Some people, not everybody, almost nobody in fact, almost nobody wants a blueprint, but the people who want it would value it because anything you want has value. Otherwise you wouldn't want it. So if somebody wants to build a dream home and they want to do it with some kind of plan and not just have a builder start pounding nails, then they're going to value having a plan. 
So if uh, if someone who does storyboards is uh, if they encounter a client who isn't really sure what they want, maybe they're not even sure they want to make an investment into e-learning. Maybe they're not sure that that's the solution, and they want to get a more tangible representation of what it would look like, what their what their dream e-learning platform would look like before they commit to you know, I don't know, going to the board of directors and convincing them to cough up a quarter of a million dollars to invest in this e-learning thing. There's probably someone out there that would want someone who is an expert at e-learning platforms to consult with them and get a professional diagnosis of the situation and then present a recommendation. Now, if, if I, I don't know if storyboards is that role, that sounds even maybe a little bit downstream from the overall architecture of an e-learning solution but you know if you are what would you say in the building metaphor because i'm not really familiar with like the different e-learning roles but in in the if you can imagine a building metaphor where you've got you know architects and you've got people that work for the architects to actually do like maybe the architect hires someone to do a, a vr fly through of the uh the 3d model of the house so people can like put an oculus on their head and like actually walk not actually but feel like they're walking through the the the, uh finished home the the architect is not going to be a vr expert but maybe the architect hires someone who's who does vr just for you know uh architects there's going to be people who are like maybe playing supportive roles along the way uh, and then the builder would get the architect, there's, uh, sorry, get the blueprints. And then there's going to be the general contractor. And then there's going to be like someone who's heading up the painting team and the framing team and the foundation and all of the different expertise is uh, expertises that are involved in creating a million dollar home. Where would you, if you would map like, uh, the storyboard person is the storyboard person like the interior designer in this model or is it someone who works is, is it someone who works in the architecture firm or is it someone who works in the the for the general contractor yeah that's a um, really good question so um i i in 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 yeah, in the field of learning development, the first phase of work would be the diagnostic phase, which is the which 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 we call needs analysis. So, if we relate that back to the architectural analogy, that I don't even know whether it exists in that world, but it would be almost taking it back a step further. So, somebody would come to you and they would say, "I'm cold. Every night it rains and I get wet. Um, I need a solution." So. The needs analysis would say, "Well, um, can you buy an umbrella? Or mm. um, you know, is this like a long-term solution? Yeah, yeah okay, right, we need something. Yeah, cheapest way to solve it with an umbrella. Well, hang on a minute. In you know, in, in um, my kids are going to get wet, or you know, mm. <laughs> okay. So we need a, we, we figure out we need a house. So that would be pretty much where you know that needs analysis phase in inverted commas would end, and." Mm. At that point, that per, that 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 consultant, this is this is kind of like my role, really. Mm-hmm. I would recommend a solution. So I would say, right, I think you need to build a house. I will then pass you on to an architect who will design the perfect house for you. And it, yes, I have you know the, the capabilities to do that myself. But and, and whether this is two different people maybe becomes a bit blurry. But mm-hmm. they're, they're they're definitely two different roles. So there's the, the analysis diagnostic phase, the recommendation. This is the plan. So we are going to build, um, you know, we're going to build a lovely house. It's going to have two levels. It's going to have a garage. Da 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 da. Then we pass that on to the instructional designer, who is going to 
do the detail of right um, what type of bricks are we going to use um, how many stairs is it going to have going up to the the second floor all mm. that kind of stuff and then that would go on to the uh, e-learning developer if you like who would be the builder so i'm going to choose the bricks i'm going to put the cement together i'm going to you know i can tell i'm not not very handy but mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that's the person who actually physically builds it so mm-hmm. and then and, and then just to touch on one other thing you said i hope hopefully that clears things up a little, a little bit, bit but then yeah. One of the other things you said that really resonated was this VR person. So you, this yeah, exactly. um, yep. this VR person is the exact type of person that I'm thinking about. So he, if this VR person is an expert in turning your architectural drawings into um, a, a, an Oculus experience that somebody can go through, mm-hmm. like I guess this is kind of flipping it back on, on the on, on you really on, on this question, but. Like, would it make sense for that VR person to market themselves as a, I do VR walkthroughs for um, beachside properties versus, oh. you see, do you see where I'm going? Like, beachside would it make sense for him to- person. No, it's a niche, right? Mm, it's not a person, so no, it's not a niche. Okay, so I guess my, my point is, is that if that VR person is marketing themselves- If you said architects make- in Santa Barbara, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So okay. So you're kind of proving you're kind of proving my proving your point there by saying that if you're a VR person and you market yourselves to architects in Santa Barbara, you've got um, a higher chance of um, success with finding clients versus just saying I am a VR person who you know serves architects. Full stop. Yeah, it's more niched, right? Right. Yeah. So you okay. get a smaller okay. pool, of, smaller pool of potential buyers. So anytime you get a smaller pool of potential buyers, that's niching down more. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So so in, in the the v, I specifically mentioned the VR person because I wondered if if your storyboard role could become globally recognized as a provider or like a solution you know solution provider delivering some kind of results to uh, e learning consultants or whoever the architect is whoever the architect of the e-learning solution is. Maybe there is like a best person in the world at doing, um, or like someone who delivers amazing results to e-learning consultants. And maybe that person, you know, so it's like, it's somewhere, it's somewhere, it's not at the top left corner. It's not the bottom right corner of the Etch-A-Sketch, but it's, it's somewhat of a specialization and it's somewhat, and it's like, you know, so I'm like, my pen is kind of like hovering around. It's in the top left quadrant but not all the way in the corner, you know? Okay. So it's like, it's sort of up there. Yeah. And so, yeah. So, so this makes me feel like this is moving into the world of subcontracting. So this, um, well, it depends. It, That's a couple. And in fact, not to interrupt you, I'm sorry, but there's a couple of things you've mentioned along the way that has everything to do with how you package your expertise, which mm-hmm. is different. It's like a, a different, um, way to look at the positioning stuff. So, so, how you package your expertise means that you you know you spent 10 years learning how to do something whether it's playing drums or doing um you know storyboards for uh, instructional design whatever i'm probably using the wrong terms um but if you spent 10 years doing it you've learned some things about how to do it Mm-hmm. And you've got opinions, probably. You maybe some of them are contrarian or iconoclastic or, um, you know, novel, unique to you. 
you could sell those things to, especially if you're if you're doing a niche style positioning where you're focusing on a particular target market or you're, you're like moving in that direction, you can package that expertise up in ways other than actually doing it. So if I build brick walls for a living, I'm, you know, I've been doing it for 10 years. I know everything about how to build brick walls. I could create probably a, a whole a product ladder of things that do not include me stacking bricks, but are valuable to somebody. And if I am open in, you know, if I put on my business owner hat instead of my bricklayer hat, and you stop thinking about the activities of your craft and being obsessed with them like a hobby, like if this isn't your, if this isn't a hobby and it's your business, then a, a really uh, useful thing to do is to open up your mind, stop thinking that I'm someone who lays bricks and start thinking I'm someone who knows how to lay bricks. And then say, okay, that's my expertise. My expertise is the piece that's separate from me doing the activity. So if you're an expert at storyboarding, you could probably package that up in a lot of different ways. It could be, it could be teaching other people how to do it. it like people who want to follow in your footsteps and in 10 years be an expert like you. It could be people who aren't ever planning to be an expert, but they want to do a good enough job on their own because they've got a really low budget. So they buy your you know, video course or something. So the packaging of the expertise is, is actually different from your strategic marketing, your positioning overall. You know, so it's like a, they're related and they interact, but they're a different, different place on the continuum. So I, I hope I'm not like just confusing things, but, but that is, it, it has been an undercurrent of a couple of things that you mentioned. Like early on, you, you sort of described a whole list of people who just want to do this. And it's like, well, the world doesn't, unfortunately, the world doesn't owe you a comfortable living for engaging in activities that you enjoy. Mm-hmm. Otherwise I'd be rich for playing bad drums so 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 are you essentially saying that for those types of people um they need to um you know um in order to build a successful business they need to um be able to deliver some form of end-to-end solution and i get no no they need to deliver results that people want and they need to do it in a way that's profitable to both parties. That's, I mean, that's like, a, I've never, I don't think I've ever said that out loud, but that's the summary. Mm-hmm. They need to deliver results that people want that are profitable to both parties. So, so yeah. In that example, then I, I feel like um, the, these hypothetical people I'm talking about who are just wanting to focus on their specific expertise are, um, which Luke, can I, pause? I'm sorry, I keep interrupting. Yeah, but, please do. But yeah, there's a lot of like language issues here. When you say focus on their specific expertise, that is different than focusing on the activities that they enjoy. Yeah, no. So I am talking about, um, I'm not talking about necessarily what they enjoy. I'm talking about um, one um, part of this process that I've described. So if we go back to the the architecture analogy, they just enjoy, you know, the, the example you gave, the guy who likes building the wall. So he you know, he, okay, he might enjoy building the wall, but that's his, his skill. He builds walls, right? So he has, we, we, are we calling that a specialization? I would rephrase that. I never okay. said he enjoyed building the wall. I said he's been building the wall for 10 years and he knows how to. Okay. Enjoy okay. doesn't even come in, didn't even, I mean, enjoying is an issue. It's a thing, but that has nothing to do with what I was, what I meant when I was talking about that. He has demonstrably he has expertise at building walls whether or not he likes it let's just assume he likes it or he would have stopped 
but whether or not he likes it, let's say he does like it. Let's say he does like it. That, the, like, I just, in fact, the, the guy who built the stone wall in front of my house is exactly the guy I'm thinking of. So it wasn't brick, it's stone, but, you know, I, you know, he's like 65 years old and he's humping like literal tons of stone by himself to stack up in front of my house. And I was like, dude, you know, like, you know, and, and he would work 10 hour days, four days a week and complain about his back the whole time. And he's a nice guy. Um, just amazing. He did like every house in our neighborhood. That's how I found him. And I said to him, uh, you know, why don't you try like some like 19 year olds to do this? And he had all these reasons that he didn't want to do it. He he had all these reasons that he, he, that was to, to him, that was like costly. That was painful, much more painful than his lower back. And he just loved humping the, the, the rocks around. If you love humping the rocks around for whatever it is that you do, you're going to trap yourself in your specialization because as you build up your expertise if you never never relinquish the doing and start scaling up and creating leverage by teaching other people how to do it or advising other people how it should be done or overseeing other people who are doing it you will be trapped under a ceiling so i don't know if that was quite where you were going but but if you're addicted to the activities of the doing then you probably you probably want to niche down on people who are super rich because your delivery is always going to be maximum costly. Yeah. Do you follow? So yeah, I'm following definitely. Um, but so so in that example, I, I think I've been listening to too many of your podcasts because I've heard you talk about this guy before. Um, but um, in that example, like, let's imagine you wanted to build a new house, right? Mm -hmm. You wouldn't necessarily. Um, hire him to build your house because he's he's very good at building walls, but you've got no kind of validation that he's you know good at anything no, beyond even, building no. a wall. Right. But so so if if he was marketing himself, so I think if we go right back to the beginning of the conversation when you talked about the etch a sketch, if he was to dial up the etch a sketch with his market vertical, his niche, he and he said, I only build walls for dentists in. Yeah, wherever it is, right? And he says well, that that's yeah. yeah. Or he, I mean, that's a bad analogy, but you, you, no. you, you, he had a specialization. On. He niched down on our neighborhood, like million dollar home neighborhood. Not that my house was million dollars, but like there are plenty of million dollar homes in my neighborhood. And is that he, a niche, niche or a specialization? It's a niche. It's about yeah. the the client. Yeah. Okay. So he he did niche, um, but if he was. I'm trying to trying to put this in the context of a bigger project. So if he was, um, uh, because that that wall on its own is valuable, but where, whereas what I'm talking about, a storyboard on its own is not valuable. A wall. Are you sure? You, you uh, might be right. You might be right, but that seems far fetched to me. No one, if no one values it, why does anyone pay for it? Well, okay. So in the context of building a house, a wall is valuable, um, but you would never hire somebody just to build the wall, right? You would hire somebody to do build, build, or you would outsource the decision-making of building a house to somebody else. So you would hire somebody who would say, right, I'm going to find the person to build a wall. I'm going to find the person to build the roof. I'm going to find the person to put in the windows. Yeah. So that's we... still valuable, that, that um, specialization of building the walls. But to you as the end client who is building a new house, you don't want to be going out there and finding these individual people to do all of these specialization. Right. You want I'm somebody not the else client. to do that. Right. So the guy that's framing the, the addition of my house is, is not, I'm not his client. The general yeah, contractor he, is his client. 
Yeah. So that. Uh, yeah. So he's the 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 person building a wall or doing the framing is subcontracting to the um, yeah right. to the to the the, the 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 company that you've hired to build your house. Right. So. So, so this is, is a, it's a great line of conversation because it takes us right back to the beginning and when, where we said, well, if that person is, um, you know, that, that, that person who's building a wall and he wants to, let's imagine that building a wall in and of itself isn't a valuable specialization. Um, apart from to come up, to, you know, for a solution of building a house, right? That's the end goal is to build a house. How does that person who is building the wall market himself directly to a client or is he always going to be in a situation where he has to be a subcontractor because his specialization is only valuable as the the sum of several parts well you gotta you gotta understand who your buyer is so mm-hmm. if you are if you are let's say let's say okay here's an example from my my actual life so let, let's say you do custom cabinets right is that a fair you do cat you do kitchen cabinets Mm-hmm. Is that a fair analogy to like the person building a wall? Yep, definitely. Okay, so I do I do kitchen cabinets, right? Who what who's my client? I I'm probably not well kitchen cabinets. That's probably not a bad example. That is a bad example because sometimes homeowners do hire kitchen cabinet people. So let's say framing walls. I'm as a homeowner, I am never going to hire someone to frame walls. It'd be extremely weird to hire someone to frame walls. So you're going to hire. So the the person who does wall framing is going to get hired by the builder. Yeah. Right. That it's not going to be on the homeowner to pick somebody who does a good job framing walls. So it's the the thing that you need to do. The thing that you would want to do if we're looking to get more better clients. Again, back to the beginning, more better clients. And I am like an expert at framing walls for some reason. I know nothing about this. I've you know, I, I know not even enough to be dangerous, but there's got to be some expertise there. There's got to be some kind of situation where framing walls is critically important. You want to sell to the builders who are building stuff where wall framing is critically important, where you are better, you're highly specialized, you're world famous for framing walls, and the best builders in the world are going to talk about you. They might not even want to share your name because they want to book you solid themselves and not let any of their competitors get access to you. Mm-hmm. And you frame walls that in a way that nobody else does. Maybe you're framing walls on the freaking space station. I don't know. But mm-hmm. you want to, you, it's the same thing. If you're going to be, if you're picking any kind of, um, if you've got a, if you go, if you just, just talk about the specialty, some kind of, some kind of specific, like framing walls on a, on a residential home is not a specialization. Like you'd need to have some kind of wall construction that is like bizarre. Like it would make us laugh if we could even think of it, mm-hmm. you know, like, like, like on the space station, for example, or like an, you know, evil genius under a volcano layer. Yeah. Like, oh, do you need, or do you need to like potentially protect from a um, nuclear fallout? I designed those kind of walls mm-hmm. or I build those kinds of walls then. All right. You know, like there's no competition or there's a lot less competition. If you're just talking about like two by four framing of a residential home, that's not a specialization. So if you're unspecialized, if you're a commoditized framer, then what kind of houses do you want to be working in? Multi-million dollar homes because you want to be working with builders who have a lot of extra money laying around, who are not going to, who are, who are going to be worried about things like you showing up on time, being sober, 
not swearing, not tracking mud into the million dollar home, all of these things that are around the actual framing so that you would hyper specialize on all of the things that are the experience of working with a wall framer in a residential home. But for people who are doing like $50 million homes or castles or something, and you are going to not embarrass them in front of the client, or you're not going to give them headaches that, that they don't have the patience to deal with. So if you're just a generalist wall framer that pounds two by fours together, then you're going to want to be working with builders who are the richest possible builders and then differentiate yourself in a way that's meaningful to them so that you don't seem like a garden variety wall framer. Even if, even if a, a framed wall can only be so perfect, the, your responsiveness, professionalism, uh, demeanor, attractiveness, I don't know the clothes that you, maybe you wear a three piece suit, <laughs> you know, like whatever you need to do so that they are, it's going to make them look good. And they're going to pay your exorbitant rates for framing these walls because you're meaningfully different from other people who also frame walls. Got it. Okay. So, so sorry to interrupt. So how, how does that wall framer, um, are, are you saying then that that wall framer should market themselves not just as a, you know, I'm a specialist in, in framing walls and I've got this great technique that nobody else has. You're saying that they should market themselves with a market vertical as well. I'm saying, well, I was giving two examples. One is that they're actually a commodity wall framer in the, in the, in terms of the specialization, like they do, they do a great job, but they could, you know, the, the, the builder could get a lot of people to do a great job, but mm -hmm. since the wall framer is focused on people who are building mansions and they understand that audience and they understand that when the, you know, the princess comes into the house to see how the construction is going. They don't want some guy smoking and farting and like drinking beers on the, on the job site. And mm -hmm. they know that the builder knows that if they hire me, they're going to get good walls. Duh, that's table stakes, but it's also going to impress the princess. Like I'm not going to embarrass the builder in front of the princess. So mm -hmm. that would okay. to me, to me, that's a niche focus, not very specialized, but you've added differentiators that are meaningful to this very specific buyer you're speaking mm -hmm. their language you do not want to be embarrassed when the homeowner comes through to check out the site okay or, the so even or anybody else so that's the, what that's that was the niche angle and then this the walls in the space station or the nuclear fallout bunker that's that's a specialization thing that would be val valuable to people who want walls in a nuclear bomb shelter or a space station where you are literally one of fewer than 10 people in the world who can do a credible job of building walls on the space station or in a, a bunker to withstand radiation. Got it. Okay. Now that, that's really becoming clear now. So I think what, what I'm understanding is that even though the client, the person who's building this, you know, the person who's paying for this new home to be built is paying the um, the, uh, I, I don't know what that role would, would it be the builder or yeah. yeah so let's contractor. say that. Yeah. So they're paying the general contract contractor, uh, an exorbitant amount of money to build this house. And therefore the wall framer is actually technically subcontracting because they are working directly for the debt general contractor. You're still saying that that wall framer needs to, in in that example, needs to market themselves as a wall frame framer for million dollar homes because the general contractor will be looking for the 
um, the the best wall contractor, sorry, the best wall framer for for that project, and therefore, you know, that that's how they will connect the dots. Yeah, well, as as the wall framer, you would connect the dots in your marketing, but you you just need to understand that the princess is not your buyer, that the general yeah. contractor is your buyer. Yeah. So it, it, when you the, the thing about the thing that is, if there's something easy about the niching approach to special to positioning, see, I almost said specialization. The, the the niching approach to positioning is the easy thing about it, the easiest thing about it. It's it's easy even for new people who are new to positioning, which is like what's so great about it, is that you you can make a list, an actual list of people's names who would be your dream buyers, your dream clients. So you could almost certainly do some research online or on you know online LinkedIn uh, subreddits marketing websites, just Google around, and you could probably find a hundred general contractors who build multi-million dollar homes. You could reach out to realtors in affluent neighborhoods and say, hey, who did the reno on that on uh, Humphrey Bogart's mansion? And you could say, all right, here's this list of people. I'm going to reach out to them directly. I'm going to say, hey, you know, it, you know, maybe maybe first you would set up your marketing to be super premium and like, and when I say super premium, I don't mean it. It needs to be expensive, but just not crappy like all the other wall framers websites or totally ridiculous LinkedIn profiles. But just like look professional and say, hey, you know, I'm super pro. Well, actually, let's even back up because I'm already making assumptions. Let's back up. They reach out to those people and say, what do you look for in a wall framer? Find out what that list of a hundred people. Maybe it's just twenty people. You get 20 people out of 100 to jump on a phone call and say, "Hey, I'm a wall framer. I want to start working on good houses. I don't want to stop. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to keep working on these like like McMansions. I want to do some like really good work that I'm proud of." What do you look for when you're looking for a wall framer? Find out what they care about. Understand what they want. The key is to find out what they want. And you say, "Oh, I can deliver that. I can deliver those kinds of results." And they, I'm guessing again, this is assumptions. I'm guessing they're going to want someone who is punctual, someone who brings their own tools, someone who is presentable, someone who's not going to be embarrassing, someone who's not coarse, someone who doesn't have a junky car. I'm not going to show up in front of your house in a beat up 1987 Corolla. I'm just guessing about things that maybe these the custom contra uh, general contractors care about. But if you find out what they care about, and then you reflect that back in whatever you're doing for marketing, whether it's, uh, whether it's outreach, via email or your LinkedIn profile or a website or direct mail or a combination cold calling a combination of all these things you present that picture that you you deliver what general contractors who work on multi-million dollar homes want in a wall framer and you'd be like yeah I'm the one you can trust anybody can build you a wall but if you care about these additional things these other things that aren't directly part of the wall building process then I'm your guy I'm not the cheapest. I'll probably be the most expensive, but I'm not going to embarrass you in front of the princess. So you decide, you know, if you could make a list of a hundred people and get on the phone with 20 and then come up to some of those, the answers to those questions and then reach back out to the hundred with your new marketing, I'd be shocked if you didn't land one of them and then yep. boom, word of mouth. Cause now you're in a small pond. Mm. Okay. I guess the, the, the immediate objections that I'm coming up with when I think about this is that the general contractor, um, you know, may already have, and an, in in kind of an e, a typical e-learning agency will go out to the market to find an instructional designer, and they will have set rates on you know how much they pay for that. So I would imagine the general contractor would also you know 
we pay a thousand dollars a day for a wall framer, and therefore that this 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 um, this context this this example we're giving here makes it difficult for me to imagine that a wall a wall framer can then charge you know do things like value pricing and things like that because they're they're limited within you know uh, the limited by the competition of what else is out there obviously you're you're giving examples of um, re, you know, reasons that they're different and the, the differentiators between what you know me who, who me who um turns up on time and doesn't come in you know wearing dirty clothes and all, all those examples you gave but is that I, I guess it's about finding enough meaningful differences to be able to command higher prices in the eyes of that general contractor yep and now that brings up the max price formula because you're 100 right if the buyer um, doesn't see a meaningful difference between you and the next thing that you are you know, the, you and the next industrial, indu, wait, what did we say? I almost said industrial <laughs> designer, instructional designer. If they don't see a meaningful difference, then yeah, they're going to pick the cheapest one. Why wouldn't yeah. they? So it's your job to create a meaningful difference. That's positioning. So oh, yeah. if they see you as the only available option, then you will not face that kind of downward pricing pressure because they will, it, it's apples to oranges. It's not apples to apples. If you put yourself out there as, as, as you know, I am a, I'm just another instructional designer, then yeah, you're going to have, yeah, you're going to have downward pricing pressure. But if you are the, or, or wall, you know, the wall framer, just another wall framer, well, yeah, there's a air quotes market price for a garden variety wall framer. But if you're the million dollar wall framer, and that's the only thing that's going to suffice for, you know, Harry and Megan's new uh, condo in LA or wherever they are, then you're going to get the gig. But you need yeah. to have a meaningful difference. And, and here's another thing that, that um, is, is a tempting thing to say. You've said it at least twice so far. It's very common. Most people won't do that. Most people won't pay more for an instructional designer. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> you don't want most people. You want the cream of the crop. Mm -hmm. Of course, most people won't. Yes, that's normal. Most people don't want one at all, never mind an expensive one. Mm-hmm. So the fact that anybody wants an instructional designer at all is a miracle into itself. So you probably you have to imagine, it, I could be wrong, I could be wrong, but there might be someone out there who's doing a billion dollar, you know, maybe uh, Facebook is making a billion dollar investment in e-learning to attract the top talent away from Google. And mm -hmm. they don't want to risk that investment. And somebody, some generalist e-learning firm that's world, world famous, you could probably name the most famous one right off the top of your head, is going to get the gig for sure. So they land the gig and now they've got all this money and they've got, now they've got all this risk. We can't screw this up. That it'll be, this is a high profile gig. We cannot screw this up. We want to hire the best in the business for every aspect of this build. Then, you know, if that doesn't exist, then maybe we're talking about buggy whips here, but I don't think we're talking about buggy whips. I think e-learning is a growing, a growing um, slice of the market. I think it's a growing space. So it doesn't seem like, oh, you know, I'm the best switchboard operator in the world who wants to pay me lots of money to operate your switchboard. That's, that's a no, probably nobody. Actually, there probably is somebody, but that, you know, because the world is so big. But in general, that's a tough, that's a tough sell, I think. But I feel like e-learning is a, is a, a growing space. There's 
got to be people who are investing loads of money to build a air quotes million dollar home in the e-learning space who probably care about the experience of working together and they want responsiveness they want professionalism they want excellence and they expect to pay for it if i'm wrong i'm wrong and it's a dead-end job I, you know i don't know what to tell you at that point but but it doesn't seem like that to me mm -hmm. okay Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So um, yeah, a lot to think about, but thank you for explaining that all to me. It's, uh, it's, it's a very simple concept, but I guess when you apply it to your own industry and, and environment, it uh, sometimes can become quite um, difficult to, to kind of visualize and then lay out. Yeah, yeah, it's tough to see the forest for the trees. So I think, I think if there's like a, to wrap up, I think the, 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 the thing that keeps people trapped and, and not able to apply this stuff to themselves, it's not just that they can't see the forest for the trees, although it is that, it's a lot of that, um, which is normal, that's fine. You know, that's why you, you get outside help and you ask people's opinion and maybe get coaches and stuff uh, who's got, who have a broader perspective and have experienced lots of different careers, like, you know, in helping people lots of different careers. So that's normal to, to be kind of trapped by the details and the specifics, but the, the two things that really keep people paralyzed are not wanting to niche down because honestly, of all the things we talked about, that is by far the easiest one for a, a early career freelancer to do. That is the easiest one. It's got the clearest path. It gives you the most feedback along the way. You can correct your course along the way. It's easiest. Um, the other thing is that people are so that's one thing to be fear of niching down, niching down. And the other thing is seeing themselves only as a doer, someone who does the craft and not someone who knows how to do the craft and, and create and packaging that expertise in a variety of ways, most of which are not them actually doing it, which creates leverage. Both things create leverage and leverage translates to profits so if you have leverage it means that you're you know like literal i mean literal leverage like if you picture a lever and i push down on a lever i can lift up a car that i could never lift with my hands why does that happen because the the force that i use to push down on the long end of the lever is multiplied on the short end of the lever on the other side of the fulcrum so a a small application of force on one side creates a large application of force on the other side that's profitability. That's not trading time for money. That's uh, margins. That's leverage. So like all of those things are basically the same concept. Mm -hmm. So if you mm -hmm. pack it, if you, if you only, only want to do, do, do your activities, you're really limiting yourself. And at a certain point when you feel like you're really good at what you do, you could find people who want to be good at what you do and teach them how to do it. That's the most obvious second step, like first step into creating leverage. Just teach people how to do what, what you do. That's the simplest one. The next, another simplest, another simple one, but not as simple is to teach people who don't actually want to become good at what you do. They don't want to become a, they're not a mini you. They're not a mini learning designer. They're not a mini wall framer, but they just want to do it themselves. They want to DIY kind of like Home Depot style. And then you could create some sort of educational product for them, or you could, you could have some kind of oversight of people who are doing the work, but you've been doing it for 10 years. So you can tell when it's being done correctly and when it's not being done correctly. So you're kind of like an architect walking the job site to make sure that the nails are going in the right place. So there's all these different ways that you can apply your expertise or sell your expertise 
if you're willing to think bigger about the activities that you engage in and not just be the person who has to do it and and there's this there's this mindset that if i'm not actually doing it then i'm not delivering any value and that's just patently false patently false mm-hmm. if that were true then design wouldn't exist yeah that makes a lot of sense so that you're saying that the to, to kind of sum up the the, the first challenge is the f- getting over that fear of, of picking a niche and, and, and diving headfirst into that and then the yeah. second one is thinking of yourself more in terms of I, 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 rather than I do this skill for a living is I have the knowledge of how to do that. And then I can convert that into a product ladder of, you know, inf- info products and, cons- you know, teaching people how to do it. And, and, and yeah. Yep. Training, uh, yeah. info products, yeah. uh, advisory services, consulting, all yeah. that stuff. Yeah. Awesome. Got it. Okay. Brilliant. Jeez. Yeah. Hopefully that was helpful. I felt like I... <laughs> I rented more than I expected. <laughs> no, no, really, really helpful. Thank you so much. Cool. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks for coming on. Thanks for such a great question. Where can people find out more about what you're doing? Uh, so my main website is antpu.com, P-U-G-H. Um, I'm pretty much, I think, the only person with that name on the internet, so it should be easy <laughs> to find. And uh, the, the L&D uh, community that we've launched is called Propeller with an A, and that's uh, wearepropeller.com. Awesome. Great. Well, thanks for coming on, Ant. Pleasure. Thanks so much for explaining that to me. All right, folks, that's it for this time. I'm Jonathan Stark, and I hope you join me again next time for Ditching Hourly. Bye. Hey, Jonathan again. Are you a self-employed professional who's ready to start getting paid what you're worth? You can learn how to stop billing and start pricing in the pricing seminar. It's more than 30 lessons shared over 12 weeks and reinforced with experiential asynchronous group discussion. And best of all, there's a money-back guarantee. The next session launches on March 8th, 2021. So if it's if you're listening to this before March 8th, run, don't walk over to thepricingseminar.com and look for the little blue bird for a nice discount. Hope to see you there. Hey, Jonathan again. Do you have questions about how to improve your business? Things like value pricing your work instead of billing for your time or positioning yourself as the go-to person in your space? or maybe productizing your services so you never have to have another awkward sales call or spend hours writing another custom proposal. Book a one-on-one coaching call with me and get answers to these questions and others in the time it takes you to get ready for work in the morning. Best of all, you're covered by my 100% satisfaction guarantee. If at the end of the call you don't feel like it was worth it, just say the word and I'll refund your purchase in full. To book your one-on-one coaching call, go to jonathanstark.com call, C-A-L-L. That URL again is jonathanstark.com slash call. Hope to see you there.